This is Profiles in Risk. Hosted by Nick Lamparelli. Every week, we interview those who risk life, limb, fortunes, career, and reputation, and those who work behind the scenes who look to protect and enlighten us about risk. You can find the show notes and other insurance-related content at insnerds.com. That's I-N-S-N-E-R-D-S dot com. Now, on to the show. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Profiles in Risk. I am your host, Nick Lamparelli. It's, uh, it's sunrise in San Francisco behind me. Not actually in San Francisco, but it is early in the morning, Eastern time, and I can't think of a better way to wake up uh, than to have a conversation about something that uh, I, I don't know a lot about. So I am very pleased this morning to introduce Dustin Lemick. Dustin is the founder and CEO of Brightco. Brightco provides a cloud-based appraisal management system for jewelers to create, track, and manage appraisals. Once appraised, Brightco sends an insurance quote directly to the customer via text or email to get immediate coverage from AM best rated carriers. Dustin, good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me, Nick. Yeah, looking forward to this conversation. Uh, I'm going to kick it right off and ask you in your words, your own words, what is Brightco? Yeah, so Brightco is an insure tech company. We provide coverage for consumers and we provide technology for jewelers. And we operate in the watch and jewelry space. We are a program administrator for HDI Global. We, what we do is we provide a dual channel technology system. And one part of that system actually lives with jewelers. It's what that is, is it's a comprehensive appraisal management system. Um, we've designed it to really to replace a very manual process that currently exists in the jewelry space for doing appraisals. Um, you can think of it as jewelers when they're doing an appraisal, they'll pull up a Microsoft Word template and start typing. Um, so we essentially have built a piece of technology that will completely automate that. And we also add in some checks and balances into our system to make sure that the data that we're getting in uh, is good and that we're getting the correct data in. And then we also have built um, some pricing algorithms. Uh, we, we even have intertwined some predictive modeling in there. And um, it's all based on real-time data. And so that's the piece of technology actually that lives with the jewelers. And then it, it kind of talks to and, and corresponds to another piece of technology that's more of a consumer-facing piece, which is uh, it's, that's more of our quoting engine, uh, our, our actual application, and um, our binding engine. So, so that piece of technology, uh, which lives with the consumer, will, will take... Uh, can basically go from quote to bind. And, and that happens. We really streamline that as well. It can happen in, you know, we can quote to bind in one to two minutes pretty much. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's a high level of what we do. Yeah. So it, it, you, you really know what you're talking about. You could even say that jewelry is in your DNA. Can you explain <laughs> that? <laughs> yeah. Ab jewelry is in my DNA. Um, I'm a third, I, I was a third generation jeweler my uh, retail jeweler. So my, my grandfather started our retail stores out here in Chicago in 1958. And so I kind of grew up in the jewelry business, um, sort of running around our stores as a little kid, probably annoying customers. 
Um, but I really, yeah, I really got a hold of it. Um, you know, I was born into it. Uh, mm -hmm. What kind of keyed me off, though, here on the insurance side was, you know, we we did a lot of claims handling and claims processing for some of the big bigger primaries, and uh, get, it afforded me a glimpse kind of into that um, that claims process window, kind of that backside of the claims process. And um, so we, additionally, my background. So I, you know, aside from growing up in the business after. After I, uh, I graduated from University of Wisconsin-Madison, a huge Badger fan, and I went to gemological school after, uh, after college, you know, it's just jumped, jumped right into uh, to the jewelry business. And I, I worked in the jewelry business for 13 years. And uh, two years ago in 2017 is when I actually left to, to be the founder of, of Brightco and to start this company. Okay, so you, you, did, you did talk about the manual process in in terms of how some of this works from the you know you know the appraisal especially the appraisal area where you know you bring up a microsoft word template and you kind of start filling it in um i i, I want to dig in a little bit more why the compelling urge to start an tech that's that's very risky right you, you 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 had it was in your dna you probably had a good thing going why step on a ledge? What did you see that was underserved aside from, you know, the, just the, the manual part of it that you thought like this, this whole thing needs to be fixed. Uh, could you walk us through like uh, the, the pain points uh, for trying to get in, uh, uh, jewelry insured? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the first thing I, I would note is that, um, I mean, these pain points to me were, were screaming at me. I mean, they were, they were so crystal clear to me and for a while i mean it was something i'm like this needs to be fixed this needs to be fixed and you know i i did a lot of moonlighting and you know really looking at at what was going on here but you know to walk you through essentially what the the first kind of ugly face that surfaced was the claims was on the claim side mm -hmm. and i feel like that happens a lot actually is, is you see the pain points come through on the on on the claim side. But then once we started looking at the entire life cycle, of the policy, we started realizing, oh my God, like this, this whole thing is broken. Um, on the claim side, the pain points. So really, I want to rewind it a second. The, re sure. the real problems start with the appraisal. And so mm -hmm. we reimagine this whole process and we say, you know what, the, in the whole insurance process, it actually starts, it kicks off with the appraisal. So if that appraisal is not good and nobody's checking it, so if I go and I, and I submit an appraisal for a diamond ring to my insurance company and they, a lot of times, the, a lot of these primaries, if you're scheduling something, they'll just take that appraisal at face value. They won't mm -hmm. even check it. They don't check the data. So there could be missing data. There could be bad values on there. Um, a whole, whole host of different issues. And a lot of times there's, there's a lot of lack of transparency here that, consumers don't even realize they take that piece of paper. They think it's gravy. They go to their primary, they give it to them. Nothing ever happens until a claim, <laughs> until a claim is filed. And that's when all of a sudden the ugly face shows and you say, the consumers say, Oh my God, I can't replace this for how much I had it insured. Well, you're supposed to, you know, uh, your primary tells you you're supposed to go back every two years to get it reappraised. Nobody does that. So a lot yeah. of people are, are underinsured. Or the other, I, I, I don't do. I I haven't done that. 
I mean, that, that is actually something I was going to talk about. We've had uh, one my wife's engagement ring um, on our policy. We got it appraised once years ago. Mm-hmm. And so I, I can, I can uh, confirm that like that, that now I'm recognizing, oh, that's bad on me. Like that's a huge problem. So Nick, I'll, I can help you get it reappraised. And then you'll never have to get it reappraised again. And I'll, I'll go into that because that's something that we have something called dynamic values that actually our, our pricing algorithms will update that value for you. So you don't have to go in and get it reappraised every two years. It's a huge, nobody does it. I mean, really nobody goes and does that. We've talked to so many people now at this point and, and consumers just don't do it. Yeah. But, but and a lot of times, so what that, what happens with the current process is that uh, that real manual process, the, everybody's either underinsured or overinsured and and the overinsured the other side of the coin is basically you'll have jewelers now this is changing and with all the tra- the the all of the online shopping blue nile all of this other stuff it's starting to to get better but it still exists it used to be rampant is that jewelers will use the appraisal as a tool to say you know hey nick i sold you this ring for for $5,000. But guess what? It just appraised for 7,500. You got a great deal. But think about the conflicts of interest there. Mm-hmm. You have a jeweler right, selling you something and writing that appraisal. And if, if you were to, to make an analogy with like homeowners, for instance, I mean, that's illegal. You, you have to go out and get a third party appraisal mm-hmm. uh, fr- from a, an appraisal company. You know, so yeah, I mean, it's almost in this in this in this market right now. It's almost as if, um, using the homeowners example again, it's almost as if the seller's agent, who's selling the house, also wrote that appraisal and said, "Oh, hey, buy this house. Here's here's the appraisal, and it's a great deal." So, I mean, that's sort of what's happening here. And truthfully, at, at the end of the day, the consumer really needs some sort of a third party validation, third party check to make sure that all the information going on on that appraisal, um, A, is that it's capturing all the data, the correct data, that it has the quality on the center stone, that it has the weight on the center stone or whatever it may be. And then also that's in some capacity, the value is being verified because consumers just don't know. Uh, So that's a huge problem. I mean, so those are all pain points that and again, I mean, for me, it, it it surfaced on the claim side. But once we really started looking at, at the whole life cycle of this thing, um, we started really to realize, like, you know, because originally we're like, let's address let's address the claims process. But now, you know, it, it turned into like, you know, we just we just need to to get involved in the whole life cycle, and that that's why we decided to become a PA. Sure, I, I think that's. Um, I don't think this is unique to jewelry, right? I think this is. I see it on my side when it comes to property data. Um, we get property data all the time. It's, um, and I would say the vast majority of the time it's underinsured, um, but it becomes a problem. becomes a problem at claim, uh, claims time, and you know we when we think about the problems, we specifically don't want any conflict at claims, so we try to reword our policy forms and try to work with the brokers in particular ways. So like you, you don't have that conflict um, when it, when a claim actually does happen. Cause you just, you, you're just going to lose the customer um, when, when that conflict does arise and there's that battle just trying to squeeze a few thousand dollars off because there was a misunderstanding um, at the beginning. But I, I want to touch on something 
that uh, I think probably maybe folks that are listening to this probably don't know, but l- let me phrase it and ask you a question in this way. Would you say that most homeowners that have jewelry kind of assume that the homeowner's policy, like the contents coverage, already covers the jewelry? Uh, a lot to do. There is, yeah, a very significant amount of people walk away and think they're covered with their homeowners. And so can you, can you explain, can you explain uh, the difference between the product offering that you have, why that, why scheduling it or having it in that fashion um, is, is the superior way to handle jewelry versus what a homeowner's policy may or may not do? Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, what it really boils down to is, is a scheduled item on your homeowner's policy, basically an ancillary product. Um, it's, it's not per se tailor made for a piece of jewelry or a watch. Our policies are specifically made to cover jewelry or watch. And we cover, we cover loss, we cover theft, we carry cover mysterious disappearance, which mm-hmm. is a big thing on, on renters or, yep. or, a non-scheduled thing. I mean, damage and mysterious disappearance is typically not uh, not covered, and mysterious disappearance in this space is huge. Um, the our policy. So some of the things. I mean, I, I, t- I touched on a little bit the dynamic value of constantly updating and making sure using our pricing at real time data and our pricing analytics, making sure that you are covered for the correct amount all the time, so you don't have that problem on a claim where you have to kick in an extra few thousand dollars just to to get what you lost back to be made whole. Um, we cover, we're, we're so confident in our, in, our, in our replacement values, we cover up to 125%. Um, we don't have any deductibles. Uh, a big thing is we work directly with your, with your jeweler of choice. We, we try and we have a preferred, we, we have a network of jewelers, not to say preferred network, we have a network of jewelers that we, we recommend you go to, but we don't have a preferred network. So. Okay. You know, a lot of a lot of primaries, and I I had to deal with this myself when I was re- doing replacements. Um, they will make the consumer, their their policyholder, go to specific places that are in their preferred network, and then even worse, they'll make the vendors or the jeweler use specific diamond dealers or or specific vendors mm-hmm. for for certain certain products. We don't do any of that. So we really streamline the claims process. And we, we're, we're so big on We think that, the, you know, upon a claim, that's the most important point when your policyholder really needs you. So we yeah. make sure that that is buttoned up. Um, we offer also things like um, preventative maintenance. Um, mm-hmm. So there, there's a whole host of things that we offer that, frankly, a scheduled policy just doesn't offer. How does, how does your technology... Uh... When you know, let's let's say a quote gets issued and gets found. Um, how do you work with the consumer? Like, uh, what are what are your what what are the touch points for your technology to the insurance buyer? Yeah, that that's a, a really good question. So, I I mean, a lot of what we do, um, you know, the product is only offered through our partner jewelers. So we actually don't. Sell a policy. You can't get a policy from our website. You can't go go online. And so it's offered through our partner jewelers. We are very very careful about because obviously I don't have to tell you. Everybody probably listening to this knows about the regulations here. Um, who can sell? Uh, yep. You know, and who's licensed? And so we're very careful about that. But we provide a lot of in store material. Um, you know, we do a lot of 
communication via chat or, or text message even. Uh, we have a text message option. Um, it's, it's not a required thing, but um, if you do choose to get text messages from us, you can. Uh, and, and we use email. Do, are, there, are there like reminders to get reappraisals or are you saying like your technology doesn't necessarily require like a consistent reappraisal? How does that part work where you, yeah. you, you fully, you're fully confident of the valuation over time? Yeah. So, I mean, these are yearly renewal policies. So we, yep. you know, upon a renewal, we will email the customer and we'll let the customer know um, if there was any change. Let's just, let's just use a simple example, one carat diamond. Let's just mm -hmm. say a diamond engagement. Let's just say that the diamond, that stone went up, you know, one, one and a half percent. You know, a lot of these, some of these changes aren't huge. Some of them can be, depends on the item. Um, but let's just say it went up one and a half percent. You, upon renewal, we'll, we'll send you an email saying your, your policy is set to renew. Um, here are all the details. Here are all the renewal details. Uh, your stone, and then we'll actually break down for, for the policyholder where the changes were made. This, your center stone went up one point one and a half percent. Things like that. And that, that all happens upon the renewal. Yeah. Uh, one and a half percent doesn't seem like a lot, but over five or 10 years, it, it actually is a lot. Yeah. And, yeah. That's the problem, and, it could right? be, and, and it could be more. I mean, typically diamonds have just gone up. I mean, metal markets the, the same way. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it, could, it could be more than one and a half. But yeah, it compounds. Yeah. Um, it, this isn't specific to insurance, but it kind of is because you, you did bring up mysterious disappearance. But what are some of the biggest mistakes that jewelry owners make? in the protection of their jewelry? Yeah, the, I mean, in our view, I mean, the number one thing is not checking, uh, you know, not, not checking their appraisal or, or it, and it's hard. That's a really hard thing for a consumer because um, they don't necessarily, buying a piece of jewelry is, is, is a more or less a blind item. There's a lot of trust that goes into this, into mm -hmm. this process. So, uh, you know, even if you check your, your appraisal value, make sure because, you know, a lot of times what happens is what I referred to before. Sometimes this happens is where a jeweler says, and this is an unfortunate thing. I, as a, you know, as I was a jeweler, I hate hearing these things because we never did that. And I think it's wrong, but is, you know, issuing appraisals for, you know, a lot more than what you sold the item for just to make, you know, somebody feel good. But the bottom line is just going to overpay for insurance. Um, so, you know, those, those would be things. Um, yeah. Um, it, it, I actually have what, probably the first claim story I ever had was uh, a, a customer of mine got a, uh, a customer of the agencies. They weren't mine. They weren't my account, but uh, insured a ring for like $20,000 and it disappeared the very next day. Oh no. The very next day. And so, you know, of course, red flags go up, but uh, you know, this was one of the big, uh, national carriers that has a reputation for just sort of paying claims and sure enough uh, they paid the claim they didn't you know they didn't really ask any questions a year later the ring turned up so uh, uh, there you go that was the first story with mysterious disappearance and how important that is that um, ring typically doesn't show up by the way yeah usually that doesn't that doesn't show up we would we would pro we would pay that too um we actually, I mean, we just launched. So, I mean, we, we launched last week and when we wrote our first policy, we're like, okay, no claims. 
can you talk about that? Can you talk about the feeling? Um, that, that's a lot of work. I, I mean, I, I have a lot of sympathy for you because I'm going through the same thing. Now, can you talk about the path and how long it's taken? Because uh, there are probably a lot of uh, insure tech wannabes um, listening that are like, oh, maybe I should start something. Can you talk about the pros and cons of getting something like this started and a lot of the stresses and exhilaration that you have to go through. I'm sure last week was very exhilarating for you. Yeah, it was, it really was for me and for my team. I have, I have a, an incredible team. The, I will say there are, there are definitely a lot of highs and, and a lot of, and some lows. Um, it's, it's up and down. Um, the most important thing I could ever say is, is persistency. You know, we were persistent and we just, we're absolutely determined and we still are absolutely determined to get this done, but you, you need to be passionate about it. You need to believe in what you're doing. Um, but in this space, the things do not move quickly and it, it just by virtue of the regulatory environment, you, you know, you, you can't, I mean, you're just not going to move that quickly. So, you know, you can try to, to push and you can try to move it along as quickly as possible. And you can, you can do that a little bit, but it, by and large, it's going to take a while. So you, you just yeah. gotta, you gotta buckle up here. I, I mean, um, you know, I, I going into it, I mean, I, obviously I, I was aware of, of the regulatory environment. I just, until you go through a filing process, mm -hmm. I, you don't, you you don't really know until, until you go through it. But yeah. I, I would certainly recommend um, if you're thinking about doing it and number one thing is, is be passionate about it and, and make sure that you're, you're in it for, you know, you're all in. Um, you know, we had a lot of conversations with, as we were talking to primaries and reinsurance companies about what InsureTech actually really is. Um, you know, we had a lot of conversations about there's so many there's so many insure tech companies that are coming with calling themselves insure tech companies that are really just digital brokers. You know, they're, yeah. they're the new kayak of the insurance world or whatever. Yeah. So, um, and the other thing too, that I would really recommend that really worked well for us. And this was really important for us is flush the concept out, flush the idea out. Uh, we wanted to move really fast and we, you know, there was really some restrictions in, in what we were able to do in order to get a product off of the ground. Um, and we ended up kind of doing this all pre-product, pre-revenue, and we just, we built a rock solid business plan. And so that's where I would start to recommend for somebody if they're looking to get into this, I would say flush the concept out, have conversations, network, and put together a business plan. And we put together a 50 page business plan because ultimately at the end of the day, that was our product at that time. Yeah. I mean, that's what we were selling off of. Yeah. The, the, the concept of a minimum viable product and in insurance is completely different. Oh my God. Yes. Uh, than yes. than a tech, like, like you said, uh, let's make a product. Let's, let's do an MVP and get out there and get feedback. And it's like, well, the regulatory stuff and like to, to get to the product, to me, the magic number seems to be two years. It takes about two years to get a product out. Yeah. So yeah. there's a lot of flushing out, right? There's a lot there, there. You have to go through that because there's so many uh, impediments to a startup in insurance. That's very different than any other industry because of the capital requirements, regulatory requirements, uh, access to customers. Um, it's, 
it's one of my biggest complaints of, you know, a lot of the tech folks that come in is just like, well, we're just going to, we're going to port this, globalize this model that worked in tech into insurance. Like that's not going to work. Yeah. You're going to run, you're going to run out of money. hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it, it really poses challenges for, for a startup. The, you know, I mean, we went through a capital raise at the same time as we were going through, I mean, getting our partnerships in place, um, you know, with, with our carrier and having all those conversations and it, it makes raising capital unbelievably challenging. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it, it definitely yeah. has, has its own, it's, its own set of challenges. And I, I think, I mean, for us, I mean, we just launched it. The, the real work is, is beginning now, but just getting a product to the market in insurance, in insurance and sure tech is, is it, like you said, it, it, it can take like it took us probably between it took us probably a year and a, a little year and a half, a little more than a year and a half to do it. Yeah. Um, I, I haven't seen your business plan. I'm, I'm going to ask a question about that in the future of Brightco. Uh, it seems like your technology is very well suited for any item that a homeowner traditionally has to schedule, which is essentially anything that's, you know, a, a contents coverage on a homeowner's policy. It's pretty vanilla in what it covers. And if there's anything of significant value, uh, you know, you generally have to schedule those and list those off separately, appraisals and all of that. It seems as though your technology would fit very well for all sorts of items, content items that generally go through that scheduling uh, process, so to speak. Um, is that in your business plan? Are you like looking out in the future thinking that it, it's, you essentially have this technology that can help with high valued single items? Yeah. I mean, so we have a roadmap, um, on our roadmap, there are definitely, um, some other lines of business that we're interested in complementary lines. Um, what I will say to that question is we're, we're just right now, we are complete specialists in this space and we're, we're laser focused in, in kind of conquering this market. Um, but it, what you said is true that our, our technology can be very applicable to, to some other products. So um, it's something we're looking at and we have a whole bunch of things at, in, in, in the insurance space and also some things that are outside of the insurance space that we can actually use our technology for. So yep. um, to be continued. Okay, fair enough. Um, so I have, as I mentioned, a ring scheduled on my policy. Um, so how, how does that work? Um, um, I'm, I'm interested enough, Dustin, that, uh, I'm, I'm going to give this a shot. So after this particular recording, we're going to, we're going to kick the tires a little bit and see if I can't get this appraised. Cause I now know like this is a problem that I have that I would like to solve. Um, it's a standalone policy, correct? It is a standalone policy. Yep. Okay. Um, and so, uh, do you have plans going forward to potentially help carriers like add this as an endorsement to theirs to help them out with the tech? It's, it's a really, that's a great question. Um, the answer is yes. I mean, from what we've seen, our technology is, is very applicable. I mean, that is something we definitely have. We haven't had those conversations yet because it's too early, but um, we would, we would certainly be looking at that. Um, if that was an opportunity for us. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, so let's, let's talk about 
the carrier. Uh, you mentioned HDI Global. I'm familiar with them. Uh, great carrier. Um, talk about like how important it is to have an AM best rated carrier because you you could have you could have not done that. Why was it so important to have uh, that? And what were the challenges in, in in getting a carrier to to sort of buy into your vision? Yeah, it's it was really important to us to to get a highly rated carrier, and to, really because the way we look at it and the way it really is is that I mean this is our partner. You know, if we need to make changes, it, you know, that you could live or die by this. So it was very important to us for, for that reason, but also for credibility. I mean, for insurance, mm -hmm. I mean, cr credibility is absolutely key. You know, mm -hmm. it's it's trust. You know, they're trusting that if if you know. They're paying their premiums that if something happens that you're going to be there for them. Yep. And, you know, being a new, a new product in the market, we just knew we needed as much credibility as we possibly could get. And, and the way to do that was to kind of stick to our guns. And we knew there were other options, probably much easier options. But, um, you know, we, we wanted to stay the course and we knew early on. Um, you know, I had a lot of conversations with my, my chief insurance officer, who's a Floyd Prudential actuary and incredible, smart, incredibly smart guy, Connor Redmond. And he, when it, you know, on, on this side of things, you know, really with the filing and all that, he drove, he drove it and, um, not to get too far off topic, but he, mm -hmm. uh, you know, we were told and we had conversations with, uh, you know, that it was going to take us nine to 12 months to get our filings through. Um, he pushed them through in four, pretty much four months. And that to us is a huge accomplishment. Um, but going back to the carrier, uh, I, I thought we just thought it was a really important thing. And it was just such an important partnership for us that we needed to, to really talk to the best. And so that's what we did. Uh, you, you bring up a very important point, uh, something that Wesley Todd and myself talk about a lot. Uh, for the tech companies that are coming into the space is having uh, insurance wisdom insight in the company. You you just brought up a very good point, right? Like you, you had an insurance professional with you uh, that streamlined uh, a process, uh, basically cut it by like two thirds of the normal time. Can you talk about how important it is for startups uh, that are more tech oriented to have someone on staff that actually knows the space? Um, yeah, I'm really glad that you, that you asked this question because it's it's really important. Um, I mean, you can spend a, a huge amount of resources and capital, and some companies tr try to go this route with going with the consulting route and, and hiring a consulting firm to come in and help you with their filings. For you know, for me, not you know, I I came from a jewelry background. I mean, I I had some experience in the insurance side, more on the claim side, but certainly not on the filing side. Um, I, one of the, the first things that I did was, you know, I was really did a lot of networking, talking to a lot of folks in insurance, um, to try to understand, you know, what this thing's going to take. And when I'm, you know, Con Connor's a, a co one of our co-founders and he, um, you know, we mapped it out and it, it, it was so important, so very important. So I, I couldn't imagine it would just, it would have been so much harder uh, to, to do this. It's doable. Like, like I mentioned, I mean, you, you could go out there and spend, spend a bunch of, spend hundreds of thousands of dollars or, or more to, to hire a, a paranoid or somebody like that to come help you. Um, 
but for us, I mean, having, having a, a, an actuary on st- I mean, it, incredibly important yeah, for us. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Um, this is the part of the podcast where I transition over to more personal questions that get, give the audience a flavor of who you are. Um, but it's also cause I'm lazy. So I like to piggyback. Off <laughs> <of your> answers. <clears throat> um, so we're all busy. So I'd like to, and, and you know, you've, you're in the middle of a startup. So what tools or technologies have you found to be useful to keep you productive and or organized? Oh, this is easy. Uh, Slack, Slack, and more Slack. Slack. Very common these days. I mean, we use it, for, especially for dev projects. Um, you know, there's a lot of things happening very quickly while you're building technology and you know, sometimes your developers need answers immediately. Um, you know, they're in the middle of coding right there. They're in a rhythm and they're like, we need an answer to this question. And via Slack, it's just the quickest, fastest way to do it, but also to manage everything. You know, it's, it's just a great management tool. Yeah, especially if you're remote, um, which is our situation. Yeah. Um, we can Slack each other and then say, okay, let's, uh, let's, share, let's screen share. And in Slack, you can phone, you can dial, and then start sharing screens and stuff. Uh, it's becoming more and more valuable to us, so much so that uh, we're even considering it, like embedding it into our, uh, our policy management system, like just it, for us to be able to move policies from submission to quote to decline or acceptance to bound, you know, like really embedding it. it it's, it's an amazing technology. I, I, I agree with you. Um, I, I think it, if we had to go back to just like pure email, it would be pretty clumsy. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like that. I like, I like what you guys are thinking of doing and, and a little known, you probably don't know this. I'm actually in your Slack channel. Little shout out for you there. Insurance nerds. Okay. I'm going yeah, to, I'm, I'm in the I'm, channel. I'm going to, uh, highlight you and, uh, make sure everyone, uh, reaches out and says, hello, that's how they can reach you. Awesome. Thank you for that. Yeah. Um, Dustin, what books have been influential in your business and or personal lives? Um, the book, right. I mean, I, the top of mind for me right now, going through what I'm going through that I'm reading for the second time now actually is, is called Blitzscaling by Reed Hoffman. Um, Reed Hoffman is an unbelievably smart guy, but he talks about scaling businesses. Some of it is, is very applicable to insure tech. Some of it is not because by nature, like scaling very fast is, is tough as we talked about, but it gives you, it gives us a lot of tips for, you know, and it's really interesting. It talks about network effects and other things, but, and he also has a podcast for uh, masters of scale. That's excellent too, but I would say blitz scaling. I'll put, I'll put those on the show notes for anyone that's listening. Reed Hoffman, I think he's a founder of LinkedIn, right? Yeah, he's the founder. Of, yeah, founder of LinkedIn. Yeah, big big time entrepreneur. So I'll put those in the show notes. And uh, I learned more about the jewelry business and jewelry and scheduling insurance in this hour uh, than I probably knew beforehand. So uh, this is pretty interesting. And I think uh, post call, we're going to kick the tires a little bit. So I'll let uh, I'll let everyone know how that goes. But Dustin, this is fantastic. Congratulations. Um, the success. Congratulations on uh, attacking an industry that had a lot of pain points and being an outsider coming in and saying, um, uh, we're going we're to fix this. So 
uh, there, there's a lot to salute here and I wish you nothing but the best. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. This has been fun. Yep. So my guest this week has been Dustin Lemick. He is the CEO of Brightco. Go to the show notes, give us the plug, and uh, you, you can connect with Dustin and all the other podcasts at insnerds.com. Thanks again, Dustin. Thank you.